So enforcing those standards to be on our team and, and creating that accountability has been a game changer. We do an accountability call every morning where we have to talk about what we did to find new business. We have to talk about what we did to move the business that we currently are working on through our pipeline. And then at the end of that, you have to talk about what you intend to improve by 1% that day. So the theory is if you're improving by 1% every day in the aggregate, you're going to get way, way better. You're listening to the Real Estate Sessions Podcast. Join us as we get the stories of the leaders in the real estate industry. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 229 of the Real Estate Sessions Podcast. Thank you so much, as I always say, for tuning in. And especially thank you so much for telling a friend. It's how we continue to grow in our little corner of the internet. Uh, Today, I'm staying local, and I love this part of my job. I love talking to local agents doing great things Uh, We're going to be on the South Shore, the Apollo Beach side of the bay. And if you know Tampa Bay at all, um, there's kind of the west side and the east side. And over on the east side, South Shore, they've got this really growing area. We're going to talk to our guest, Ben Whetstone. Ben started a, a, a small team that's growing as we are, I think as we're speaking, it's growing. Uh, but it's the South Shore homeowners team, and he's with Keller Williams South Shore. Uh, and I'm really excited to talk to him because this is a guy who treats a business like a business. And I'm excited to talk to people that think that way, especially realtors. Uh, ben, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to be here. I usually listen to you on the treadmill. So it'll be kind of interesting when this comes out to listen to myself. Yeah. And you'll, you'll, you'll remember where you were sitting at the moment, right? Absolutely. First of all, um, I see that you went to Brandon High as I did my research. So I'm just going to guess that you're a native of this area. Like you know Tampa well. I did go to Brandon High, home of the Fighting Eagles. However, I was brought here against my will as a three-year-old, so I don't remember where I came from, which is a small town called Defiance, Ohio. I hear it's nice. Three-year-old uh, Ben was going, no, no, my friend's at daycare. I'm not leaving him. That's right. Yeah. Okay, perfect. You've watched things change then in the Tampa area. You grew up here. I know you, you served in the military, so you had a little time away, obviously. But let's talk about, especially on the Brandon side of the bay, Talk about some of the things you've seen change over the last, you know, whatever, 20, 25 years. Well, I'll tell you, the first home we lived in when we moved to Florida is probably a mile, mile and a half as the crow flies right here at the end of Kings Avenue in Bloomingdale. And literally where we are sitting, uh, recording this podcast, there were cows and I remember them and I remember the smell of them. And, you know, my grandparents lived in Sun City Center, which is why we came down here, a retirement community to our south. So we used to come down Bloomingdale, hop on 301 and go down there. So I distinctly remember growing up smelling the cows. And this was just a much more rural agro economy at the time. And, you know, like anything else, progress. And then here we are. Right. I would imagine getting that mall for the locals. We know what we're talking about. The mall that's right at the end of the uh, 60 uh, as you come across. That had to be a big deal. Well, I remember I was in sixth grade. I distinctly remember um, my teacher remarking about it. And then, of course, you know, I was in sixth grade. So then kind of my formative years, you start hanging out at the mall. And it was at the time, the largest mall in the southeast. And that kind of put Brandon on the map as a more suburban, you know, it's it's not a city, it's unincorporated, but a more suburban area where it just grew and grew and grew. 
Yeah, it's naturally now it's a it's it's the definition of a bedroom bedroom community for those that want to commute and work in Tampa. Yeah, it, you know, it was growing pains like anywhere else, but just generally speaking, the Brandon Riverview Apollo Beach area, it's a great place to grow up and it was for me and it's a great place to live now. Yeah. So uh, after your stint as a fighting eagle, <laughs> you decide to join the military. W- yeah, so I was working at Publix, which is, you know, I'm sure many people know. I among other places. And I had, I had, um, finished school a little early actually. And, um, didn't really have the means to go to college, at least not pay for it, you know, directly, you know, in retrospect, cause it didn't feel like it at the time. I was really blessed with the opportunity to go in the military, w- did not really have a family history of going to the military. So I went in the army. I joined right here out of the Brandon recruiting station on highway 60. And while not every moment in the military was what I would consider fun, um, I still to this day have meaningful relationships with the people that I served with. Yeah. What was your uh, specialty, I guess? Is that the way to say that? Yeah. um, MOS, uh, Military Occupational Specialty. I was in communications. So basically in uh, garrison when we were not in the field or, or in combat, we would, I was a network administrator for lack of a better term. Okay. So, on, you know, I worked in that field. And then um, when we were in, in a field environment or, or preparing to invade Iraq, I was on a, what's called a retrans team, um, retransmission. So we would go out into the wilderness forward of the rest of the unit and we would set up antennas um, so that our communications network could reach further. Wow. Because you can't, you can't, you know, fight if you can't talk. So, yeah, I'm just going to assume then there's, it's a, a small group of people headed out that way, obviously armed. Uh, we're like armed, you- <laughs> but we really would not be anything more than an inconvenience to a, a so st- sizable military force. So yeah. stealth was important. Yeah. I mean, it was uh, truth, truth be told, it was some of my best memories in the military were on the retrans site where it was me, a sergeant and maybe another guy. And we would just sit there taking shifts, monitoring the radio and the rest of the time, just goofing off because you got to remember you're 18, 19, 20. My 21st birthday was in Kuwait when we were preparing to invade Iraq. Wow. You know, guys that are that age, it's not a super serious time in your life. Right. And it it was a pretty good memory for, for all things considered, considered. I would have preferred to uh, turn 21 elsewhere, but you know, I'm still friends with a lot of people that I was around at that time. Yeah. And I, look, I, I want to sincerely say thank you for your service and ask you a question. When people say that to you, does it mean something still? Yeah, absolutely. And Good. I say it to other people too, because it is a lot of sacrifice. There are, you know, things that I personally feel like I missed out on in life. But the thing is, I wouldn't be where I'm at. I wouldn't have the discipline that I feel like I do. And I'm, I'm far from a finished product and I'm far from where I want to be, but being in that environment and being in the military kind of gave me at least the confidence to know that I could, right. You know, if, if I got my stuff together and created a plan and was disciplined, I I could achieve my goals. Yeah. Well, we're going to talk about some of those goals as we move forward. I'm I'm just going to guess real estate really wasn't on your radar, so to speak, uh, as you were leaving the military. Yeah, I actually don't even know why I'm sitting here right now. No, uh, so so no, it wasn't. Um, I was remember I was 22 at the time. Yeah. This is this is a while ago. You know, I've I've been out of the military since 2004. Okay? okay, so there are a lot of veterans who've gotten out 
you know, much more recently than then. But I, you know, I'm a veteran of Operation Iraqi Freedom, the initial invasion in Iraq. So I got out in 2004, and actually, my first job out of the military was working for the local cable company, Bright House Networks, and I basically shoot troubleshot problems with cable television, uh, VOIP phone systems, and uh, internet. So all the way from the hard line up on the pole or underground into people's houses or businesses. And that turned into something quite different, if I uh, if I have the timeline right. Right, and they're actually related. I was on a service call with the cable company, and I happened to go to the home of a Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office uh, SWAT deputy. And he had some problem with his internet or something, and I happened to see all of his like SWAT gear laid out you know, in the living room and we struck up a conversation and he kind of put the bug in my ear that maybe it would be a cool idea to get into law enforcement. I did. I ended up starting my law enforcement career at the Hillsborough County jail, just down the street on Falkenberg road. Uh, very interesting time in my life because many people don't know this, but that's known as a direct supervision jail, meaning that there's no bars. Oh, there, no. there are in lockdown. There's no bars. There's no cells. Well, that's not a jail. Well, so it's based on behavior. So if they, if they act up, then they do have cells, but you know, generally speaking, 99% of the inmates that are in that jail are in big, they call them pods of 72 inmates with one deputy. Oh, right. So you have to develop what interpersonal skills, right? And when you're younger, you know, and you, you know, you are the coolest guy ever because you have a brand new shiny badge and your serving since pen says since breakfast, <laughs> you know, you think that you're a lot tougher than you are. So it takes time to learn those interpersonal skills. Well, so I, I spent two and a half years there. I, I had the opportunity to work in a drug program pod and a domestic violence pod where inmates were sentenced to a program where they had to go to parenting classes, get their GED, things like that. And once they complete that program, counseling, all that stuff. They, their sentence was suspended. So they could go from being sentenced to a year in the jail to a couple months, a few months is what it took to complete the program. So that's a little bit different than just your general population. People kind of are working towards a goal. Yeah. And, you know, you got to have the mindset of you meet people where they are. Just because what they did doesn't necessarily reduce their, their uh, worth as a human. And if you go around and you op and you operate like, oh, you're, you're in jail, you're kind of beneath me or whatever, you're going to have a really, really difficult career. You, you have to kind of start at a certain level of respect with people, no matter where they're at. And yeah. uh, truth be told, what the, the crime they committed to get into the jail literally had no bearing on how they acted when they were there. I had, you know, murderers that were in the pod and I had people that were there for committing like multiple, you know, thefts where they were, you know, became a felony. I'll be honest with you. I can think of a specific inmate who was a murderer committed one of the most heinous crimes I was aware of that was much better behaved than some of the, you know, lower level offenders. Wow. Um, so it really is kind of an interesting, an interesting dynamic now. So after that, um, I attended what's called the crossover Academy and then I was able to transition over to the street. So I worked on the street as a police officer in the city of St. Petersburg. I'm uh, I live in St. Pete. Yeah. I like it. Right. So you got a brand new building that just opened up about right. a couple months not, ago. Yeah. I have not yet had the opportunity to tour that. Yeah. So 
I'll have to call one of my friends that are there to uh, give me the tour. What I get out of this, first of all, military discipline, really understanding control and command, and then having having this this time with the usually it's there are bartenders to build relationships. Most realtors like to sure. be a bartender, but you went a different route. Instead, you 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 lived with inmates basically eight hours <laughs> yeah, a day. I mean, 12, well, twelve actually 12 overnight. <laughs> so my job was to tuck grown men into bed. <laughs> nice. So there's the relationship building side of things. Now then, you you how long were you with the St. Pete uh, Police Department? Seven years. Okay. Seven so years. somewhere towards the end of that, we got to get you to real estate. Where does that happen? Right. So you know and. I, you know, I believe in serendipity. People come into your life for different reasons. Circumstances happen for different reasons. So let's think back to about the 2014 era. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a super fun time to be a police officer. Ferguson mm-hmm. was going on, not to get, you know, yep. political, but yep. Ferguson was going on. So you have a lot of really good intentioned professional police officers who are having their, you know, their intentions questioned. Mm-hmm. So it became very, very difficult. So for me, the fun was kind of sucked out of it during that time. Well, first of all, it's fun being a police officer. Yeah, to a certain extent. Okay. So obviously you're exposed <laughs> to situations where people are at their worst and right. that's not fun. That's not what I'm saying. Yeah, but there's lots of good stuff too. Right. Again, it's it. a situation where you are serving with other people that are under kind of difficult conditions mm-hmm. and you build a camaraderie. Right. You just naturally are going to develop some some fun relationships and you know, truth be told, driving fast is fun. You meet very interesting people. I mean, aside from the obvious physical danger, chasing people through the dark alley in the middle of the night's fun. You, you know, it's, you can have fun doing anything. Okay. I mean, honestly, so I'm going to take your word for that. Yeah. It's lots of good memories, lots of good stories from that era. But that, that time period, that 2014, 2015 time period kind of led to a coming of age, shall we say between, a lot, a lot of the reasons why I got into that and why I was currently doing it and really starting to think about the, you know, where I was going in life, because mm-hmm. while I did have fun and I did enjoy certain aspects of it, you know, not for nothing. And this is not just the St. Petersburg police department, but when you work in the government, it's a very draconian, very bureaucratic place by definition. Yep. yep. And you, you have people that are not known for their um, ability or willingness to kind of seek out opportunity in the way that you can do in a field like real estate. Right. So just remember there, that. There's definitely a ceiling. Yeah, yeah. It feels so like a ceiling. I'm in mid to late 20s or you know early 30s probably at this point now. And I remember distinctly, I would be taking drunk idiots to jail who were kicking my windows and if you know where the jail is in Pinellas County, you're going through the Carillon area and you see companies like Raymond James and Raytheon and all these companies. I'm like, man, these people are going to get to work at nine o'clock tomorrow and they're not going to have to deal with any of this stuff. Yeah. Right. So there, it just got to a point where it, it wears on you. So at that point I had a friend of mine, a zone partner of mine who had been in commercial real estate prior to him getting into law enforcement. And his wife was actually a broker who specialized in working with Chinese investors. So not your traditional, you know, real estate business, but definitely new. So we would go in the middle of the night and at the time, for those familiar with St. Pete, the Bear Creek area. So Central Avenue, 66th street area was, was my zone. And we used to shut down that Starbucks every night, (laughs) you know, just before they close, we'd go in and finish off whatever they didn't sell. So, um, I don't think I can get in trouble for that now. (laughs) I think you're cool. I think it's good, yeah. uh, We would go there, and then we'd get alarms and and whatnot. And uh, 
they'd be at like a vacant home that's for sale. So we get an alarm and we go clear the house and, you know, usually it's just some agent forgot to lock the door. And so it set off the alarm. So we'd go there and, you know, I'll see a yard. I saw a yard sign and I, I remember asking him, you know, Andre, how much could you make if you sold one of these homes? And he told me, and I'm like, what? So I distinctly remember going and signing up for the Bob Hogue school of real estate online right class. there in St. Petersburg yeah, right there in St. Pete on MLK. <laughs> yep. On my lunch breaks, I would sit there and I would go through the lessons um, and literally got my real estate, you know, license and course done in a police cruiser. Wow. So my iPad would fit perfectly in the crevice of a crown Victoria uh, steering wheel. <laughs> Let so, me write that down. Yeah. Okay, good. That's great. At one point, you decide, I'm ready to make this move. You end up, I think you started your career with Cobalt Banker. I did. So actually, so I didn't even intend to leave okay. police work. It was going to be a part-time side yeah, gig, side hustle. side hustle. And yeah. I remember you had a, a police officer, a former yeah. police officer on recently, yep. who kind of had the same story as me. I'm like, holy cow, we could be friends. So um, That was probably Eric Sachs, yeah, the Breakthrough yeah, absolutely. Broker. Yeah. So I, shout out. <laughs> it, I didn't intend that. Because remember, while the general public at large sees the police job as being inherently dangerous. And of course there are dangers from a occupational standpoint, from a retirement standpoint, you're working for the government and they would have, if I stayed, I don't know, at the time, another 15 years or so, they would have paid me for the rest of my life in perpetuity. Right. Well, so it wasn't a factor until it became a factor. So I remember having lunch with my squad one day and my supervisor, my phone's going crazy with my side hustle, real estate stuff. So, you know, he basically like, it, you know, looks at me, he's like, it's kind of an inconvenience for you to be here at this point. And I was, I was coming to work at four o'clock in the, in the evening. And I would, I remember a couple days where I would get two homes under contract and then have to rush over to St. Pete to be at work on time. Wow. When I entered that era, then you had the combination of kind of that uncomfortable period of policing in the Ferguson area where you kind of question, is this really worth it? You know, it just kind of led to it. Then, okay, Cobalt Banker, great company, old, old brand. Um, Over 100 years. Yeah, very ethical, honest company. No problem with Cobalt Banker whatsoever. Um, Michelle Herndon, who was on recently, we were actually at the same office. Oh, that's great. Uh, not okay. at the same time, sure. but... Uh, I remember her telling me she was there. Well, the issue with me was I went in to see our broker at the time. And I'm really at this point kind of trying to expand my mind and see where this is going to take me. Cause I'm, you know, maybe I had started having thoughts of leaving the police department at the time. So it kind of led me to ask some questions of the broker, like, Hey, what would I have to do to be like the number one agent here? Yeah. And, he, and he looked at me and he's like, Oh, you'd have to make $150,000. And it was then that I knew that I was not going to be working at Coldwell Banker anymore because what he had done is he had imposed a ceiling. Gotcha. So um, during that period of time, I had another friend who was an attorney, also a former police officer that had left the department in St. Pete, uh, but it was an attorney even before he came, became a police officer who had joined Keller Williams um, over there. So downtown. So he had, I'd had the conversation with him and he kind of told me some things that at least made me want to look into it. So I probably watched every YouTube video with Gary Keller in it and started to realize, wow, this is kind of an interesting company because I'll, I'll tell you straight up, um, anytime 
uh, Keller Williams was mentioned in our office, it was always greeted with, oh, it's a pyramid scheme. Right. Well, so, I mean, funny thing about that is it's not a pyramid scheme because I don't have any real estates in my garage that I have to sell. It's not a multi-level marketing, <laughs> I, you know. Only 10% I've heard or less of our agents even participate in our profit share program that's given away about $1.3 billion over 30 years. I haven't found that to be true at all. Now, getting back to it, what led me to Keller Williams was not that. It was the fact that I walked in to have a converse, you know, conversation with, with Gary, who was our broker up until recently. And I asked him the same question that I asked at Cola Banker. And he, his answer was, well, how much do you want to make? Right. So basically he shattered this glass ceiling that I had imposed over myself. And I realized that I was at a company that was not a, you know, a no, but it was a yes and company. Yeah. And those are the, that's when I started really kind of rubbing shoulders with winners in the industry. And it really took me from a, you know, the kind of the closed mindset of the police officer necessarily. So self-preservation, whatever to the, wow, what is possible for me? So my income in real estate tripled within that first year and has maintained consistent and has gone up since then. And all I did was change the brokerage and the people I was hanging out with. One of the other things that I noticed during that first meeting that really resonated with me was literally painted on the wall in our office. It says win, win or no deal. So, you know, coming from places like the military, coming from the police department, having a high ethical standard is super, super important to me. And they literally painted it on their wall. So there's no confusion. So that's carried me through to where we are today. Yeah, that's look, that's an amazing um, story. And, and look, you're, you're, how long have you been in real estate full time? In January, I believe it's four years. Not, even, not full time. I've been full time in real estate for, I didn't become full time until about a year and a half in. So I've been in what, two and a half years? Two full-time? and a half years you're, since you've been, become a full time realtor. Yeah. Um, you're doing some amazing things. This is, Thank you, you. I hope you know that's not normal to be in your position where you're at now with two and a half years in the business. Yeah. Thank you. I, I don't think I've ever been considered normal in any <laughs> aspect of my life. So okay. it stands to reason, but All right, good. Now I know you're building a team. Um, I had the opportunity, I, I've been doing some things at uh, the, South, the South shore office, which just an awesome place. Lots of great people in there. And, um, so I got to meet you and your team, Kelly, and a couple of other people. I'm going to be yelled at because I forgot their names. But I think you're, um, you know, you ha- you were asking questions that I very rarely get asked by most realtors, and that's what really intrigued me about what you were doing. Right. So I want first of all, let's talk about the concept of building a team, right? Because you were on your own. Uh, obviously, when you when you joined mm-hmm. Keller Williams, I don't know if it was a something that that thought occurred after you got there or. Let's walk through that. Well, I didn't know a team existed. I had thought about the idea when I was at Colwell Banker and thought I invented it until I came to Keller Williams and <laughs> and was uh, informed. No, this is something that exists. It's yeah. something you can do. No, so um, I believe that it's success through others. Um, you can certainly become successful on your own, but that's success through addition, and I want to be successful through multiplication. Hmm. So... What I realized was that in order for me to reach my goals, I was going to have to create kind of an organization within the KW organization where everyone, everyone's individual goals could be accomplished under that umbrella. 
Otherwise, there's no benefit to working with someone. And if you think about it, think about other types of employment. Think about other places that you work. You're always on a team. I don't care if you work at Target. If you know, I I love the pizza shop analogy. You're automatically on a team. Yeah. If you have coworkers, you're on a team. Think about that. Yeah. So this is not an abnormal thing. This is not something that is, you know, unique to our company. This is not something in the business world. You work as a team, right? So, so the difference is what I wanted and what I've seen other teams demonstrate within our company is a real desire to ensure that the team, which is a team within a team of KW itself Mm -hmm. was large enough to encompass the goals of everyone on that team. And that is my standard to know whether or not I need to grow currently. Right. So whether that's training, whether or not that's lead generation activities, whether or not that's just sitting down and talking to people and asking them, are you where you want to be? And if not, why? Right. It would seem to me that that's a, that mindset, that concept you're, you're talking about is also this great filter in which to look at people and decide if they're going to work right. on your team, right? If they can't answer those questions or they don't have a, sure a, an attitude going in the right direction, you, you catch that early. Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, you know, and I've started telling people when I interview them that I either want to inspire you or have you run out of the building screaming. There's really no in between because it takes that tenacity and that ability to be successful in real estate. Bill, I have a joke for you. So what is the difference between someone who is unemployed and a non-producing real estate agent? I don't know, Ben. What is the difference? MLS dues. You're actually worse off if you're not producing as a real estate agent than if you were just unemployed in general. Right. So nobody's allowed to be unemployed on our team. You know, you've heard, I wake up every day unemployed and have to go find a job. There's minimum standards that are, there's a minimum income standard on our team that takes time to get to. I get that. But we'll give people time to get where they want to go. It's just that, you know, they have to follow the methods. They have to follow the systems. They have to prospect. They have to make their calls. Yeah. And choosing the right people is probably the most important part of that because if you don't have the right people, they're not going to do that. Right. So enforcing those standards to be on our team and and creating that accountability has been a game changer. We do an accountability call every morning where we have to talk about what we did to find new business. We have to talk about what we did to move the business that we currently are working on through our pipeline. And then at the end of that, you have to talk about what you intend to improve by 1% that day. So the theory is if you're improving by 1% every day in the aggregate, you're going to get way, way better. We do have those standards. Yeah. Uh, The smallest little things over time turn into these big giant movements. You know, and a lot of this is really obvious. I don't know if you realize this, but if you talk to people and ask them if you can help them with a real estate problem they have, it may generate real estate business. You mean conversations are something you want to have as a realtor? I know that I know this is a far fetched concept, <laughs> but sometimes when you talk to people about real estate, they'll want to conduct business with you. I love that. So that's really the first step is the prospecting. Yeah. Um, you, I, you well, know, let's let's let's, yeah. throw, let's throw that question in there. What does lead gen look like for you? Because I, I know you're high on the technology side of things, uh, but big believer in tech, but big believer I think in tech to to facilitate more conversations. Right. Okay, so for me. Um, I am probably different than a lot of people because I'm the only person I know like this personally. I love cold calls. I consider it a... You're number two, by the way. Yeah. You're the second guest out of 229 yeah. episodes to say that. Well, I love them. I, you know, I love them. It's, I, I don't necessarily love every moment of it, but yeah. 
to me, I have not found a more cost-effective, efficient way to generate real estate wow. business. What that looks like is back in November of 2018, I realized that if I'm going to reach my goals, I had to change some things. So, um, and, and just, you know, to set the stage here, there are people that have been on this podcast that sell way more homes than me and, and will for the foreseeable future. But remember you meet people where they're at and we've doubled our business every year, the last couple of years. So just, I'm going to give some numbers and, you know, I know some people will be like, Oh, that doesn't seem like much, but Hey, you know what? I'm betting on us. Two and, and a half think, years full time. Yeah, Go right. ahead. So You're okay. Just to give some perspective from when I, I realized that most real estate scripts are terrible. Most real estate scripts, I wanted to hang up on myself delivering them and they don't really ask the simple question. So I'll just go through it with you. I don't care. I mean, I I would love for people to get some value from this podcast like I have. Okay. So I took all the real estate scripts that I had been exposed to and threw them away and I bought some index cards and I'm like, okay, if I can't fit what I initially want to say to them on this, the small index card, um, then it's too long and I would hang up on myself. Like I said, ring, ring, ring. Hello. Hi, is this bill? Yes. Hi, Bill. My name is Ben. I'm with the Apollo beach office of Keller Williams real estate. And the reason why I'm calling is we sold a home in your neighborhood and frankly, Bill, it sold really fast. So we're calling around looking for more people that might want to know how much cash they could walk away with if they sold their home with us. Do you have any interest in that? You mean, yeah, I, sure. You're going to get like a report or something? Yeah. So what we'll do is we'll get together 15, 20 minutes. We'll check out your home, any improvements that you've made that could affect the value. I got a couple. Yeah. And at the end of that, we'll sit down, we'll plug in some numbers, and I'll be able to give you the approximate amount of money you'd walk away with or could roll into another home if you sold your home with us. Yeah, Does sure. That, yeah. Great. So I have Wednesday, 3 o'clock or 5 o'clock? Uh. Five. I'll, I'll get home about four thirty. Awesome. And I just need an email, and I can send you a calendar invite. Sure. And you know, get the email. Have a nice day. Looking forward to meeting you. That script right there has been an absolute game changer. It took me from nine to fifty listings in one year, not counting any buyer deals. Because remember, each listing properly marketed should generate an additional transaction. Yep. So that script and some others we've tried has been a game changer. Now, are we where we want to be? Not yet. And frankly, if you're ever where you want to be, then you're decaying. So the answer should never be yes, we're where we want to be. Right. So that's kind of where I hold myself at. If you're not growing, you're... You're dying. Yeah. You're decaying. <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah. So that, that script right there, please use it. So I use a triple line dialer. I get on and I you know, call around and you know, you have, if you, if you deliver it thousands of times, you get pretty good at some conversion rates and, you know, 1% of those calls will get me an appointment. Half of those will be a listing. 75% of those will sell. So you can really back in what your, you know, your income goals are, subtract expenses, subtract taxes, and you know how many calls you want to make. Now that's not the only way we generate business. And it's not something I necessarily do every day. I may be doing different things to generate business, but that's my favorite. Wow. That's so great. Kelly on our team, she's great with our sphere. She's great, you know, in these neighborhood groups, Cindy on our team just has a real heart for older people. And she does a lot of business in the sun city area. So, you know, everybody brings their own strengths, but it's the together we're a team. So we accomplish more than we could on our own. Talk about staying connected to your database, right? Cause when I first, when you say, oh, I love cold calling and I love, lead generation, which you do, which you have to do. 
isn't ultimately really nurturing those people you've already worked with a great lead generation tool as well? Absolutely. So back in 2018, I also kind of did a rough napkin calculation on where my deals were coming from. And I added it up and it was almost half of them were from that began with a Facebook messenger conversation. So that's a great place to reach out to people. Now, as we do more and more business, not everybody that we talk to is somebody that we know in our personal life. So we use commissions, Inc. Um, We've created filters and we, you know, we have methods in place so we don't ever forget anybody. You don't necessarily need to talk to these people, but we have a, you know, if you're familiar with Commissions Inc., you can set up filters that will tell you how long it's been since you've spoken to somebody. And, you know, it's adding value to these people. These a lot of times are past clients. So maybe, you know, for a good, good example, interest rates went down a lot. We have a lender on our team that we work with um, very closely. So is there any reason why I couldn't call somebody that bought a couple of years and say, hey, you may want to talk to Dave because you could save a couple hundred bucks on your mortgage, right? So we're not calling, asking, hi, would you like to buy, sell, or invest in real estate? No, okay, have a good day, bye. No, that is terrible, and you are providing no value, and I, it doesn't surprise me why agent abandonment is such a big deal in our industry. Huge problem. Right. Yeah. Now, some people I just don't want to work with again, and we'll not call them, but you know, we all have those. But, That's all good. But And then people that we're currently working with trying to get into a home or trying to get the listing from them, they have their own filters and we reach out to them at certain intervals and try and inject value into that relationship the most we can. But the point is you have to have a scalable way to cross paths with these people. Uh, Otherwise you can lead generate till the cows come home, but you're never going to convert. We're we're past the time I asked of you, but I want to ask one last question before we get to the final question. Sure. And that is I buyers have become a part of Hillsborough County, there it's it's here. Um, you're dealing with them and having to respond, and and I want to know how how your team is uh, handling those kinds of situations. When are are you embracing the iBuyer and making a part of your presentation? Um, what does it look like? I love the iBuyer concept. Okay, so here is the thing: there have always been people that either wanted to or had to sacrifice equity for convenience, mm-hmm. and that's what iBuyers do. And these are a lot of times they're more so tech companies than real estate companies. And they are more than welcome to our industry because here's what they're doing. I am perfectly happy to draft off of all their marketing. So here, here's what that looks like. And, and truth be told, we've actually created our own. We have our local and we have a local investor that I've known for a long time who's been very supportive of our business, who's created a system where I can walk in and I can offer somebody cash, you know, a cash offer that can close in seven days. So I don't even need to wait for the traditional iBuyers. He jokingly calls our iBuyer BenPad. So uh, TM. <laughs> but So, I mean, we have that ability. We have that ability to do you that. You didn't want Ben Door? No, no. That <laughs> okay. doesn't have quite the ring okay, to right. it. Ben Pad. Okay, we we haven't really decided what we're going to call All it. Right. But what that's done is that's shifted the conversation. So the conversation without having something like that, or whether you work with you know, the iBuyers, Keller offers is one open door offer pad, all these companies. If you don't make this part of your, the way you do business, you, you are going to miss the boat. So what it does is it shifted the listing presentation to, do you want to list with me mm-hmm. to how do you want to list with me? So that's a big game changer. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I, I think once again, I, I'm completely on board with your thought process there. It's you've, there's no, they're not really disruptors anymore. No, They're just part of the business. Yeah. 
Well, let me, I know you know what question is coming up now because you're a listener of the show and I'm going to have the final question I've asked now 229 guests and that's what one piece of advice would you give a new agent just starting in the business? Okay. So you really have to know why you absolutely have to be successful. If you can't answer that question, real estate is going to be a very difficult career for you. Once you know the answer to that question, reverse engineer success get really granular about it, know your conversion rates, know how many people you need to talk to to get an appointment and do the map. And then the other thing is get to the office first. Don't let anybody beat you to the office. I love that. That's great. Ben, if uh, I want to reach out to you or someone wants to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to do that? Oh, you know, Facebook's great. Um, Facebook.com slash Ben Whetstone, W-H-E-T-S-T-O-N-E. That's a good one. And if you don't know this, they've increased the friends list limit above 5,000. I saw Tiffany McQuaid with 5,001. Yeah. I screen, I did a screenshot because I was going to call her out. Yeah. But that's awesome. And I, you know, I love the meeting with people on Facebook because then they can kind of see my life and I can see theirs. So that's yeah. a great place to start. So B E N W H E T S T O N E. Just search for it in, in the search bar on Facebook. Ben, I can't thank you enough for your time today. This was a lot of fun. I knew it was going to be. And so uh, thank you so much for sharing what you shared quite a bit today. Uh, I'm sure you're going to help a lot of people in the industry. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Sessions podcast. To leave a review or rating, go to ratethispodcast.com slash RE Sessions. You can also subscribe to the podcast at your favorite podcast listening app. Finally, you can go to realestatesessions.com and subscribe to our email newsletter and be notified whenever a new episode is released.